through the hallways of academia and on the face of the moon the footprints of conquest haven't left us any room to say Greetings and welcome to the 44th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, December 5th, 2019. I'm Sekhmet Sheowl. As the year comes to a close, we wanted to look towards feminists making real waves in their government's policies and on the streets. Mexico is the perfect place for us to examine and explore the grassroots activism happening for women's liberation as the feminist movement is growing and on the rise there and throughout Latin America. We'll hear interviews Thistle did with two Mexican women. One, a feminist speaker and representative from the organization Feministas Mexicanas Contra Vientres de Alquiler, or Mexican Feminists Against Surrogacy. Laura Lecuana Gonzalez spoke to Thistle via Skype about her work as a public speaker and feminist who has been targeted by trans activists. WLRN was also able to catch up with a young feminist who participated in the street protests in Mexico City that resulted in vandalism and setting fire to a police station after police were accused of raping a young girl in August. She also recently took to the streets on November 25th in the international protests against male violence that in Mexico included vandalism and more broken glass at metro stops around the city. Magali Tamaza Ramirez is a 25-year-old feminist who spoke to WLRN about her recent experiences with feminist activism and what she and her compañeras plan to do next. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's WLRN's April No with Women's World News for this Thursday, December 5th, 2019. In early November, Emily Catt, a female marathon runner, completed the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon whilst holding a large black flag that stated, Save Women Sports. Woman equals adult human female, as a protest to allowing males to compete in women's sports. In her public Facebook post, Emily stated, quote, I want to send the message that we will not be silenced and we will not accept being told that we're not allowed to want to win our own sports. She added, This is for all female athletes, past, present, and future. It's for the women who fought to be allowed to run marathons at all. It's for female athletes who are being told it's bigotry to point out the biological differences between the sexes. And it's for future female athletes of all sports. We all deserve a fair playing field, and we shouldn't be afraid to demand it. End quote. 
We commend Emily's bravery to standing up to the fascist gender ideology movement. Her post on Facebook has received over 900 shares despite the vitriol and hyperbolic disparagement she received. Like turfs die in a fire, claiming she was a right-wing Trump supporter and accusing her of transphobia. On November 21st, The Independent released an article detailing a year-long investigation into Iraq's secret sex trade, profiting off the bodies of poor, homeless, vulnerable women and girls. The anonymous author claims through a series of undercover filming sessions he has, quote, ironclad proof that religious clerics, some of the most powerful people in Iraq, are not only allowing but encouraging underage prostitution with some of Iraq's most vulnerable girls, end quote. The Shi'i clerics are said to be using a practice known as pleasure marriages in order to satisfy their religious beliefs and sexually exploit poor girls and women at the same time. You can now watch the hour-long documentary titled Undercover with the Clerics, Iraq's Secret Sex Trade on the BBC website bbc.co.uk. Whether you live in or outside of Canada, you can now sign a Canadian Women's Declaration, an appeal to repeal Bill C-16, which effectively conflates sex with gender in the Canadian Human Rights Act. Although Bill C-16 claimed to be anti-discriminatory in principle, in practice it allows for the self-identification into a sex class, giving men the right to invade women's hard-fought-for, segregated spaces. In addition, it allows for men's sexual and other criminal offenses to be recorded as the gender they identify with, rather than the sex they are. Furthermore, it has allowed men to use legal means to harass and put women out of business, as in the case of Jessica Yaniv. If you wish to sign the declaration, please look for Canadian Women's Declaration on Facebook or see the link in our WordPress site for this edition. Another feminist has had her talk cancelled due to outcries of transphobia. Rachel Ara, an award-winning artist, was set to speak at Oxford Brookes University on November 19th, but organizers caved due to pressure from gender identity activists. A letter signed from the Oxford Brookes LGBTQ Society accuses Rachel of being a TERF, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And due to her open support for the LGB alliance, they also accused her of seeking to isolate and oppress trans people. A gender identity advocacy group with the Twitter handle at TERFs Out of Art openly advocated for silencing Rachel by calling her a transphobe and encouraging staff to picket and raise complaints with the School of Art so the campus can be, quote, safe for everyone. Ara has stated she intends to take legal action against her aggressors. John Broadhurst, who was last year convicted of manslaughter for the murder of his partner, Natalie Connolly, recently lost an appeal to have his sentence of three years and eight months reduced. This particular case caused outrage as the deceased victim sustained more than 40 injuries including serious internal trauma, a fractured eye socket, facial wounds, and was bleeding heavily when she was pronounced dead at the scene by paramedics the next morning. The accused claimed she had consented to rough sex right before being killed. This case also sparked the creation of the group titled We Can't Consent to This, which has counted thus far 59 women in the UK who have been murdered by a perpetrator that claimed the death was the result of a BDSM game gone wrong. Founder of the group Fiona McKenzie stated that, quote, there is no question that violence during sex has been completely normalized and there has been a huge uptick in the defense being used, end quote. 
Harriet Harman, Labor's former Solicitor General, was worried that this case could set a legal precedent stating, quote, When a woman is dead, she can't speak for herself. Any man charged with killing a current or former partner or prostitute could simply say she wanted it, end quote. Broadhurst was originally charged with murder but took a plea deal and admitted guilt to the lesser charge of manslaughter by gross negligence for failing to get medical help. He later launched an appeal against his sentence, which was recently denied. A Swedish man who identifies as transgender has recently won an appeal to be transferred to a women's prison. Kim Marie Johansson, formerly Christopher, had previously been denied a transfer, but on Monday, November the 11th, a new application filed in October was granted, and Mr. Johansson was transferred to Hinsberg, Sweden's largest women's prison. In 2013, Mr. Johansson was tried and found guilty of violently murdering his ex-girlfriend with a knife and dismembering her body. He faked concern for her whereabouts, going so far as pretending to aid police in their search. Under interrogation, he admitted to having recently visited the forest, where her dismembered body had been found covered with his semen. After killing his ex, Mr. Johansson also murdered his dog. Initially, he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Upon appeal, he was convicted of the lesser charge of manslaughter, and his sentence was reduced to 10 years. In 2013, Rachel Morin published a brilliant memoir titled Paid For, My Journey Through Prostitution. Since then, Rachel has dedicated much of her life to the betterment of prostituted women, speaking in Irish Parliament to reform laws dealing with the sex trade, and has since become the executive director of Space International. Survivors of prostitution abuse calling for enlightenment, an organization dedicated to changing social attitudes towards prostitution and pressing for its recognition as a sexually exploitive human rights violation. However, she's been met with fierce opposition by punters, pimps, and male supremacists alike, and most recently by one exited sex trade survivor going as far as to say that Rachel has made the whole story up. In October, Rachel filed a defamation case against Gay Dalton, and in November, she won that case. Miss Morin wasn't seeking damages against Miss Dalton, and instead was asking the courts to restrain her from making or repeating her allegations on social media or otherwise. When Morin was asked by published author, feminist activist, and her friend Julie Bindle how she feels about Miss Dalton now, Rachel responded with, I have some sympathy for her. I feel she's been used. The piece that's gone under the radar is how a whole global cabal of pro-sex trade voices took advantage for years of her mental frailty and of my inability to defend myself against it. They used one woman to hurt another and they knew exactly what they were doing." End quote. 300 Labour Party activists and supporters, including three MSPs and 24 Labour councillors have launched a declaration on women's sex-based rights and are calling for more signatories. The declaration, which is being made in the form of a petition, is in response to moves which many fear threaten to erode and water down rights that women campaigned long and hard to achieve. Concerns arose after Labour made commitments in its 2017 general election manifesto to reform the Gender Recognition Act. Many believe the proposals would have a detrimental effect on women's sex-based rights, particularly the right to single-sex facilities such as hospital wards, toilets, and changing rooms, and also services for survivors of domestic violence and rape. The declaration can be signed at www.ipetitions.com slash petition slash labor dash women's dash declaration. 
In the U.S. women's national soccer team's ongoing campaign for equal pay for women in soccer, last month Judge R. Gary Klausner of the United States District Court for the Central District of California granted the women athletes class status in their gender discrimination lawsuit against U.S. soccer filed in March of this year. In granting class status, he effectively rejected U.S. soccer's argument that because many of the women had earned more than the top-earning men's players over that period, there could be no discrimination under federal law. Citing Bentz v. Detroit Health Corps, which ruled that the Equal Pay Act dictates equality in rate of pay rather than total remuneration, Judge Klausner said that to accept U.S. soccer's argument was to yield a, quote, absurd result. From the Central District of California Civil Minutes posted on November the 8th, quote, An employer who pays a woman $10 per hour and a man $20 per hour would not violate the EPA as long as the woman negated the obvious disparity by working twice as many hours, end quote. The judge set the trial date for May 2020. Following Day of the Dead celebrations, demonstrators marched through Mexico City calling for an end to violence against women. The marchers carried more than 100 purple crosses through the capital, each bearing the name of a woman who has been murdered or gone missing. The demonstration was called Dia de Muertas, or Day of the Dead Women. Femicide, the murder of a woman because of her sex, kills 12 women daily in Latin America according to the UN. Latin America is home to 14 of the 25 countries with the highest rates of femicide in the world and 98% of sex-related killings go unprosecuted. The deputy head of the UN, Amina Mohammed, praised Mexico among other Latin American countries for having the, quote, political courage to confront and end femicide, end quote. Initiative for eliminating violence against women in Latin America was launched by the UN last year. Several thousand people marched in France on Saturday, November 23rd to protest against alarming levels of deadly domestic violence against women, which the President Emmanuel Macron called France's shame. The biggest rallies were in Paris. The streets of the capital became a sea of purple and white as thousands marched carrying banners, placards and flags calling for an end to femicide. A total of 116 women have been murdered in France so far this year by their husband, partner, or ex-partner, according to an Age France press investigation. The group Femicides by Companions, or X, meanwhile puts the toll at 137. Although France has a progressive record on equality at work and pushes for women's rights around the world, it has among the highest rates in Europe of domestic violence. This is thought to be due in part to the poor police response to reports of abuse. It has been reported that many of the women killed this year had previously sought help from police. November 6th marks the 30th year anniversary of the mass murder of women at École Polytechnique in Montreal, Canada. Each year we remember our sisters that were forcibly separated from their male counterparts and brutally gunned down just for being women. Let us never forget our sisters. Geneviève Bergeron Hélène Colgin Nathalie Croteau Barbara Daigneau Anne-Marie Edward Maud Aviernik Barbara Kluznik Vijevedik Marise Lagagnaire 
Marise Leclerc, Anne-Marie Lemay, Sonia Pelletier, Michel Richard, Annie Saint-Arnaud, and Annie Turcotte. Finally, we are happy to see so many women around the world rising up in creative acts of demonstration and protest on the streets. On November 25th, an international day of action against male violence, women in Chile performed the song El Vilador en tu Camino and created a powerful dance to go with it. On November 29th and 30th, women in Spain, Argentina, and Mexico followed suit with their own renditions of the song and dance that has quickly gone viral. Here is an excerpt from the demonstration that happened in Mexico City. The lyrics of the song called A Rapist in Your Path in part means The patriarchy is a judge who judges us just for being born. It wasn't my fault no matter where I was or what I was wearing. The rapist is you. The oppressive state is a guy who rapes. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, December 5th, 2019. I'm April Nell. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and letting us know what's going on.
was Maura Navarro with her song Libres. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Cecil did with Laura Leco Ono Gonzalez of the organization Feministas Mexicanas Contra el Alquiler de Vientres, or Mexican Feminists Against Surrogacy. Laura Leco Ono studied philosophy at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, and her professional life has been devoted to the editing world. Currently, she's an independent editor and translator, having worked for some major publishing houses for more than 20 years. She tries to communicate feminism everywhere she goes. She is the author of Las Mujeres Son Seres Humanos, Women Are Human Beings, an introductory book on feminism for teenagers and young adults, and keeps writing and giving lectures and talks on feminism, despite the backlash she is facing. Laura spoke with Thistle about her feminist work and experiences with trans activists in Mexico, who have targeted her for attack, and about how she has responded to those attacks. Welcome, Laura, to WLRN. Hi, Cecil. Uh, I'm delighted to be with you. I love your podcast. I'm uh, a faithful listener to it. So being there is uh, a great joy for me. Thank you so much. So you are based in Mexico City. And you are a feminist with the group called Mexican Feminists Against Surrogacy. Can you tell us a little bit about your feminist work in Mexico? Sure. Um, Well, this is a story. Um, Almost three years ago, I wrote a piece about um, the transing of kids, which I noticed in that moment, and uh, I was alarmed. And then, uh, we'll talk about this later, but but, um, some Spanish feminists uh, uh, read it and they were interested, and they they invited me to a secret group in Facebook, and I started to see what was happening in feminism in Spain. They were uh, very keen on, on, on objecting to several Parties were trying to push surrogacy onto the law, to regulate surrogacy. And the feminists were, of course, of course, against it. So there were there was a a huge feminist work organization against surrogacy. And then uh, I took notice of that. I didn't know at the time what was happening uh, around surrogacy in Mexico. But then I noticed that a group called Gire, a Grupo de Información en Reproducción Elegida, who was, who was, uh, uh, who played an important role in depenalizing abortion in Mexico City a few years ago. And they were known for, for the work um, for abortion rights for women. And, uh, and then suddenly I saw they were for surrogacy. And I couldn't understand why some feminists were for surrogacy. And I said, this cannot happen. We, uh, and, and, and I saw the, the, um, the debate was divided between these so-called feminists and, of course, the, the, the right, the right, right-wing people. And, and I said, there's something wrong here. We have to make known that feminism is against surrogacy. You cannot be a feminist and... and and before uh, reproductive exploitation of women. So we have to, to make it known to the people at least. And, and then 
this started to be a, a problem. There's a, there are, um, well, you know, in Tabasco, the, there was surrogacy once and they changed the laws and, but, but, but it's still happening a lot, but it is, it has not regulated uh, nationwide. Uh, but mm-hmm. of course, there are people trying to do it. So no, no, they, we're, we're a bunch of women trying to to say this is not right. That's all, and to protest. It's not a huge organization, not at all. And let me tell you, there was a backlash even within the group. So my work there is kind of, um, let's say, um, I'm still interested in the subject. I'm not doing so much work. Because the, the, the trans kids, so to say, of course, quote unquote, the trans kids issue is taking more of my time right now. And I'm, I don't have much time for these kind of things. I don't uh, make any money from activism at all. And I'm a freelance translator. <laughs> so so you know, I, I don't really have that much time. And I don't have that much support either. So, so it's me and a few very, very faithful friends, but it's not a huge organization at all. But that, that's the story of how we started. But the thing is, we are the only feminist voice out there. Well, not, not the only one, sorry, sorry. The, the more recognizable one, the only group who has surrogacy in its name, well, not surrogacy, vientre de alquiler, that means wombs for rent. And so, um, I can I can say we oh, conseguimos lo que nos proponíamos. We, we we've achieved we, what we, we proposed yeah. to do, what we went out, that's, what we set out to do. That's right. We set out to say, hey, this uh, we are feminists and we're against surrogacy. And the people now might know, oh, okay, there's not only the right wing and the feminists, there are these sort of feminists who are against it. And, and oh, okay, that, that's a kind of a satisfaction, although the problem is still there. And mm-hmm. we haven't achieved more than that. But, well, that, 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 okay. that's it. And so your main focus right now in your feminist activism is the on the transing of kids is that yeah. why you were targeted recently with a death threat um is that why the trans activists are upset with you yeah that, that, that's i think what triggered it recently i i was called transphobe almost three years ago in february uh, 2017 um i wrote this article well, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s. I know what a, what role, what sex roles are. I I know the distinction between gender and sex. I have always understood it. And I wasn't very much aware of this confusion to this, the, the, the rule right now. You know, if, if 20 years ago it was easy enough to know this difference between sex and gender, Nowadays, it's it's like huge task uh, to to make somebody understand the difference. Uh, I, I don't know what is happening in the minds of people, but it's it's something that is so so simple and straightforward. Uh, it's so like Laura, a very difficult Laura, thing for some. So uh-huh, uh, let me okay. get this let me get the story straight. 
you wrote an article and published it about the transing of kids that was critical of transgendering children three years ago. Where did you get it published? Uh, it was the, in Half Post, Mexico. Which which closed since then? So the article. Oh, had okay. So well, that was a pretty big. That was a big media company. That was pretty yeah. big. Yeah. All right. And so then that was three years ago, but yes. the death threat came very recently, right? And a friend of mine sent me the screenshot of the death threat to you, which was apparently given to you by a a Tim, a trans-identified male. Um, saying that, uh, you know, offering to kill you if somebody would pay him to, to do so. What triggered that? Was it the article from three years ago? Well, the article from three years ago uh, labeled me as a, as a turf or transphobe. So I was known. It labeled as a, you as a turf it, and a transphobe that three years ago, and you haven't been able to live it down. So now you're labeled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a turf for life. That's <laughs> you're a yeah. turf for life. Then, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, of course, gosh. I don't call myself a turf. I, right. A slur. Right. But, well, they they know me for this, and and every time I wrote I write something about trans activism or these kind of issues, there, there's um, uh, people protesting. I wrote an article a few months ago. Uh, it wasn't just about transing kids, but uh, it was in response to the, there's this this bill w- which uh, the Parlamento de Mujeres, the uh, women's parliament, wrote uh, down or prepared about the transing of kids. It's called the Iniciativa para el Reconocimiento de la Identidad de Género Antes de los 18 for the gender recognition before 18 years old. And that mm. means... You go to the uh, you go to the office and say I'm I a 16 year old kid or 10 year old kid uh, my gender identity is not male and my my birth certificates should be corrected and it's uh, they want it to be something which isn't um, supervised at, at all even mm-hmm. if one of the parents subjects. They say the kid, the, the, what the kid says must prevail. And they, the, this bill has uh, stipulated that if the father or the mother doesn't want to, there's a solution. You know? And mm-hmm. the women's parliament got it out. And I started to say, what is going on? What's wrong with this so-called feminist? How can you not see what's at stake here? And then the, the, the hate against me sort of grew up. Mm-hmm. Where did you and, publish? So that article you wrote a few oh, months ago about oh, the bill that is in before the parliament. Did they pass the bill? Not, not yet. Let me tell you, not, not yet. That was an interesting thing. Uh, in, in, uh, after I wrote that, there was a, a huge protest, and the the magazine who published it won't publish me anymore. What's the name of the magazine? magazine Nexus. Nexus. It's, uh, Nexus. It's an important magazine, but trans activism mm, got the way, and and I I'm not allowed to write there. Anymore. So where do you where do you publish now? Sometimes in Tribuna Feminista, wherever I. I uh, 
I'm allowed to. I, I don't write as much as I would like to, but Tribuna Feminista, I, say, I like it because it's a, it's a feminist it's a feminist site and and all, but it it doesn't have the same uh, amount of readers which Nexus, for example, or HuffPost had. So right, mm-hmm. and and it's because it's precisely because those media outlets were so big that you became a target because you put your name on these articles that you wrote. What are you doing to? Um, help yourself and and make your life better in the face of this kind of targeting? Well, not much. I try not to, not to arrive alone to places. I'm not announcing much my participation in some event. I try to do it afterwards, but nevertheless, they find out. Because now, uh, after the thing in the Socalo, if you want, we, we can go to, to it right now. Uh, but after that, I'm sure there won't be a place where I will appear that transactivisms won't try to uh, be there and make some kind of protest. So, so I, saw, I saw recently that you did a public speaking event with your name on the poster yeah. How did that event go? Did the trans that was just about a week ago, right? Yeah, the same people who uh, let me clear something up about the Sokolo thing, the 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 main public. Uh, well, the Sokolo thing. It was a book fair. I went to talk about uh, publishing for kids because I'm a, I'm an editor. Uh, uh, not only for books for kids, but I'm an editor. I was going to speak about this, nothing to do with feminism at all, and there were these, there's a guy who calls himself non-binary and there are several girls around him and they, they said, uh, aquí está la resistencia trans, trans resistance is here and they threw glitter at me and chanted something else and uh, um, said something about my hate speech and went away. Uh, that was a little shocking, but I was. And this uh, was at an uh, and this was at an event where you yeah. were speaking publicly, but you were not speaking about feminism. What were you speaking about? But publishing for kids. Publishing uh, for kids. Uh, but books for kids. Books for kids. Books for okay. children. Uh-huh. But the trans activists saw that you were on the speaking list, and they uh-huh. showed up and they threw glitter at you. That's right. Right. That's right. And they chanted. Okay. And then, but then there was a speaking engage, engagement last week. Yeah. That was a feminist speaking engagement where your name was on the poster. What happened yeah. at that event? Okay. I had security. I had security guards uh, near me. And that was important for me because, of, uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, after the Sokolo thing, after the book fair thing, I was uh, I received death threats, uh, and I of course don't want to 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 risk my life for speaking out. That's not the how how far I want to go, not at all. So these feminist girls who have a group called uh, Feministas Wamsochimilko, they're a group of radical feminists in this university 
Public University. ¿Cómo se llaman? ¿Cómo se llaman? Feministas de la UAM Xochimilco. UAM stands for Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana. Ah, ok. A public university, an important one. And uh, um, we organized this event around um, um, what feminism is, is um, uh, retos del feminismo, no, no, not goals, not goals, uh, it's the challenges. Challenges, challenges. the challenges, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was going to speak about pornography. Mm-hmm. But, well, of course, I, I have, this, the, the, I'm targeted, as you said, so, so there are people uh, informing themselves, where will I be? And somebody uh, told me, hey, Laura, there's these people wanting to do something about this, do something in, in the event, so they were, no? And I told the organizers, and they said, we'll have security, uh, don't worry. So if they didn't tell me this, I might have canceled, because I don't want you, well, as I told you, uh, uh, this, this kind of worries me. So, so I, I arrived with a bodyguard, no? Bodyguards around me, so I entered the place. And the, everything seemed peaceful at the beginning, but in the moment I took the microphone, the same people who were in the Sokolo and the main class, the main public square, arrived chanting, aquí está la resistencia atrás, and they came towards uh, the scenario where I was, uh, where I was seated, along with, mm-hmm. with another, another speaker. But there was this bodyguard. They, they had, they had. Uh, well, he he couldn't get some near me as he wished. They threw glitter, but with something which makes a bang, so it was a little scary because it sounded like like a gun. Mm-hmm. And the glitter didn't get at me, but they they did this protest. There were some people with with posters saying uh, we don't want turfs in our university. There was another people who at the, the time of the questions and answers told me I'm a transphobe and how, how my, I am mean to LGBT people and my Twitter is, uh, is, is well, well it's yeah, 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 and, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and there were people waiting for me outside. But as I told you, I had these bodyguards. This is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But when I had these bodyguards and they, we went out the back door, they took me into a car and then this car took me into the car of another woman who gave me a lift. <laughs> okay. But, well, that happened. So, so I, I didn't risk my life, but... As you know, Mexico is, is a, it's a violent country. There are nine women killed daily. And these kind of threats are not a joke to me. I know I must be aware. And, and thinking that I will have to endure this every time I speak in public, I really don't like the idea. I'm right. thinking about not doing it anymore i i don't know I, you don't, I don't know want to be a martyr no that's not right you don't want to be a martyr no i understand but, but I, I 
do want to. Uh, I, I, of course, I won't shut uh, shut up. I will. Uh, I want to keep on writing and making people aware that about trans activism and how misogynist it is. And I will keep doing it, but maybe, maybe in writing, not not presenting myself in public. I don't know. I don't know. Let's yeah. see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your work speaking out like like you have. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for all of us as feminists to want to protect ourselves and not be sacrificed and not be martyrs. We simply wish to have, I can for, for myself at least say that I'd like to have civil discussion and dialogue about the politics of the day without threats of violence. And that that should be possible. That, but, but then the trans activists argue that just my presence is violence. So just me existing and being somewhere is unacceptable to them, which is ridiculous because then that's not even listening to the content of, of what I'm saying. It just becomes ridiculous, like it has in your case as well. Where you're, yeah. They just see your name, and that's enough. It doesn't even matter what you're talking about. You oh, are yeah. labeled. Uh-huh. You are labeled, and it, it's. I don't know how we're gonna get out of this, Laura. Pero estoy muy contenta de conocerte. I'm very happy to have met you because, you know, we feminists need to hear each other's stories. And not feel alone. Like we're not the only ones. We we there are other women that are being targeted unfairly like this. And maybe if we all come together in our solidarity, eventually society. Like I'm really glad that they had bodyguards for you. You know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We can eventually we can bring society back to a place of fair treatment for women. And allowing women to be in public speaking without threat of violence. I mean, that's that's my hope. That's my hope too. But their their strategy is it's amazing. They don't want us to speak out. They don't want us to be listened. No. So so that's why our mere presence is is a hate crime. <laughs> and right. <laughs> it's just hard. Es una situación super dura. Entonces, gracias por tu trabajo. Thank you for for your work. Is there anything, we're going to have to wrap it up. Is there okay. anything you'd like to say in particular? I know you've listened to a lot of WLRN podcasts. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners who are largely lesbians and radical feminists and largely from, from North America? Well, I'd like to say we... we, we... Well, of course, you you just said we 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 violence is is frightening, but we we should try at least try to think critically. Don't don't think don't believe everything they tell us. Uh, I, I'm sure if more feminists were more girls and women were. were um, were uh, how do you say seguras de sí mismas um, uh, sure of more, themselves had yeah, more sure self-esteem and self-confidence they wouldn't 
vi, eh, no se irían tan fácil con la finta. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't believe a Sicily. This nonsense trans activists are trying to make us believe a sex is a spectrum and sex doesn't exist and being a woman is feeling like a woman. Uh, we, we, we wouldn't be, or there wouldn't be so many people ready to think that nonsense if we were more confident about our logical capacities. And that's what I try to, to, to say to young feminists. Be more uh, confident about your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Right on. That is a wonderful message. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Laura. You're welcome, Thistle. Thank you for inviting me. It's great speaking to you and to your listeners.
was Antipatri Arca by Anna Tijoux. Our final interview segment is with young feminist activist Magali Teresa Ramirez. Magali describes how she became interested and involved in socialist feminist activism through the organization Red Roses and what her recent experiences have been like in the streets. Magali is a graduate student in the School of Social Work at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, the largest university in Mexico. She has participated as a leader and speaker at different universities around the issues of abortion, sex trafficking, violence against women, and more. She's a specialist in the oppression of Indigenous women. Welcome, Magali. Thank you for the invitation. It is a pleasure to share with you my experiences as an activist in Mexico City. Muy bien. Can you tell us when you became involved in feminist activism? I began when I arrived at the university. I am a student. Well, now I am a graduate student in the School of Social Work. In the School of Social Work, we do internships in the field, and I began to learn about liberal feminism or institutional feminism at the university. But about three years ago, I joined the socialist feminist organization Red Roses and began learning about radical feminism and socialist feminism. And from there, I became an activist at the university and at my place of work and also in the streets. Yes, I saw that a few months ago. I believe it was in August. There was a protest in the streets of Mexico City. Did you participate in that demonstration? Yes, in Mexico City, and, well, in all of Mexico, since last year when women in Argentina first started organizing. It spread throughout all of Latin America, and what they call the Green Wave arrived to Mexico. So we began a series of activities to fight for the right to abortion on demand and without cost for the whole country of Mexico. It is already legal in Mexico City, but we wanted to make it legal and accessible in the whole country. What happened in August, on August 16th, is that young women took to the streets of the city, principally university students, to demand an end to femicide and violence against women. Here in Mexico City, on a daily basis, 9 to 10 women are murdered, and the authorities, for the most part, ignore it. There are not enough punishments for those who are guilty of this violence, and there is a lack of investigation into these murders of women. 
eh, sobre los asesinatos de las mujeres y con respecto a eso, pues las and with mujeres, respect to this, eh, in that moment in August, women were fed up and tired of being ignored, no, and so we took to the streets. Y como hasta ahora sigue sin pasarnos y eh, llaman unas compañeras a una concentración justamente en en la Glorieta de Insurgentes. This is when we went to the Glorieta de Insurgentes, an emblematic place in the city. And there were incidents of vandalism, including spray painting and broken glass at the bus stops, in order to make visible violence against women. This was a direct action that was taken to gain attention for the struggle against violence against women. Y los críticos van a decir que ustedes fueron violentas. Yes, ¿no? yes. But critics are going to say that you were being violent yourselves, uh, which hurts the cause. What do you say to that? Well, the media here in Mexico is state-run, and what happened was that they criminalized women exercising our right to demand an end to the violence against women. Exigiendo que terminara la violencia hacia nosotras, y yo no considero que las acciones sean violentas, sino más bien son acciones de rabia y de hartazgo que vivimos. I don't consider the actions we took to be violent, but rather they are actions we took out of our rage at nothing being done to end violence against women. Women live with the fear of violence every day in Mexico. Every day when we go out into public, we are harassed and we don't know if we will be able to return home alive. Llamaron únicamente a visibilizar esa acción, esas acciones, criminalizándolas como violencia. This includes incidents of violence that occurs in public transportation and at the university by professors and teachers. So the actions that were taken are merely a reflection of us being fed up and enraged. Toda la violencia estructural que vivimos como mujeres. The media criminalized us for it and didn't emphasize the institutional nature of the daily violence we face, nor did the media highlight our demands that the authorities in Mexico take responsibility for the daily violence we face and the justice we seek. Wow. Excelente. Uh, las feministas norteamericanas podemos uh, aprender de ustedes de su... Uh, no sé cómo se dice... Uh, North American feminists have a lot to learn from your militancy. There is this idea that we are more advanced in the U.S., but what the women of Mexico are doing is really much more advanced in feminism than we are. Gracias por hacer eso, y espero que nosotras también decimos, bueno, el cuento es que los Estados Unidos, el norte, Thank you for your militancy and for teaching us about it. The truth is that you are in front. We are watching you from afar and have gained so much by your actions. Thank you. 
Eso es el mito, es el cuento que nos contamos, pero la verdad es que ustedes están enfrente. Estamos mirándoles a ustedes. Ustedes están en las calles. Hace dos días o tres días estuvieron ustedes de nuevo en las calles uh, con su presencia mili militante, creo que es la, la palabra. No quiero decir violenta, sino pues con, lo, con los pies bien planteados y sin... Your feet sin, are firmly uh, planted in the ground, and I don't have the words, no sé, but you understand, la, right? No tengo las palabras, pero ¿me entiendes? Sí, 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 claro, te entiendo. Eh, pues yes, yes, I understand. Let me talk about the feminist que, movement a bit bueno, more. Más bien, platicándote un poco de la experiencia del movimiento feminista en México, eh, hasta hace unos, no sé, una década, el movimiento feminista no era tan fuerte y en Latinoamérica actualmente... Ten years ago, the feminist movement in Mexico was not as strong as it is today. Pero sobre todo desde 2015 para acá... Beginning in 2010 and definitely in 2015, with the mobilizations happening in Argentina and Bolivia and in Latin America as a whole... Ha crecido muchísimo el movimiento. The movement in Mexico México, began to grow, and this has given us the opportunity to ask the question: What is the origin of the oppression and violence that we live with in Latin America? In asking ourselves this question, we have been able to answer by saying that the oppression and violence that women experience is rooted in capitalism and the patriarchy. Ha sido el capitalismo y es el patriarcado en el que hemos vivido. Pero sobre todo un capitalismo que tiene la violencia. And this capitalism has origins that are structural. And what I mean by that is that it is a capitalism that is ferocious and wild against the countries of Latin America. We are the ones who pay the price of this and suffer the most violent consequences. Women above all are the ones who suffer from capitalism. De esas contradicciones del capitalismo somos las mujeres y desde Latinoamérica. Actualmente el movimiento feminista, nosotros eh, no decimos que somos como, eh, claro, como tú lo mencionabas, es un cuento que nos han inventado que nosotros somos los países atrasados o nosotros somos los países... Eh, del tercer mundo, por ejemplo. Claro, claro. And as you mentioned before, we are seen as less advanced or as the third world. No igualamos las condiciones de los países imperialistas. In comparison to the imperialist nations that have more wealth, more security, more education, better health, etc. Doing this by taking from poor countries with bad economies due to this model of capitalism. For this reason, it is really important to look at the construction of the feminist movement in Latin America within this violent context. The construction of our Latin American feminism is in response to not being able to stand this violence. Prácticamente nos jugamos todos los días la vida en las calles, en la misma universidad. Practically every day we are experiencing it in the streets and even at the universities. Even prestigious ones have female students who turn up dead. Eso es algo que nos hace salir a las calles, nos hace... 
This is something that makes us go out into the streets, makes us demand visibility, and it has also made us, as women, change our ways of relating to ourselves and that we create a movement that is broader, though we still have a long way to go. And there are many different currents in our feminist movement. As is common throughout the world, we don't agree on everything, but what is common to us all is the demand to end the violence against women and to have access to free and safe abortion. This agreement has been fundamental to growing our broad women's movement here in Mexico. Excelente, Magali. Estoy muy contenta de escuchar tu historia y tu pasión. Y pues, estás con Great, Magali. I'm so happy to hear your stories. Also, you really are with a lot of other women, right? You are not alone in this. No estás sola. Claro. Yes. Yes, I belong to the organization Red Roses, made up of socialist women. We are Marxist revolutionaries who believe that feminism must be anti-patriarchy and anti-capitalist. You mentioned that you are still at the university. Are there older women who participate in your group? We are made up primarily of women who are still students at the university, but we do have some members who are not students and are working women. We also have developed work with women who are indigenous from one of the poorest states in Mexico. We are a small organization, but we do work in different parts of the country, in four states in the Republic, and we have comrades who are older too. Que pues ya son más grandes también, que son trabajadoras y que son impulsoras del movimiento lesbofeminista aquí en México y del movimiento abolicionista. Excelente. ¿Puedes describir la amistad y la solidaridad que Great. Can you describe the friendships and solidarity you feel in your organization, Red Roses? Rosas Rojas. ¿Puedes sí. describir eso? Claro. Pues, eh, en el feminismo aprendí, en el feminismo... Yes. In feminism as revolutionary practice, I have learned that beyond being women, we are comrades, and despite having differences in where we live and in ethnicities, we all experience the violence, exploitation, and oppression of women in this country. Este, de etnias a las que perteneces, somos compañeras que vivimos y nos atraviesa también una serie de violencias en este país que nos atraviesan también muchísimas explotaciones, opresiones 
y que con mis compañeras he aprendido a que las mujeres eh, organizadas, las mujeres... I have learned that when we come together and are organized, above all in the streets, we have each other's backs and we need to trust one another to save ourselves. The struggle is not just one of sex, but we need to come together as different classes of women, of indigenous women, workers and migrants, and that what unites us is putting an end to the violence and exploitation of all women and creating spaces within the capitalist system that are free of violence. But the ultimate goal is to overthrow the capitalist system that harms women. Nos unimos con nuestras compañeras de clase, con nuestras compañeras indígenas, con nuestras compañeras migrantes, amas de casa, trabajadoras, eh, como un mismo movimiento que nos permitirá en algún momento poder tener dentro de este sistema capitalista, tener espacios libres de violencia, pero que vamos por derrumbar este sistema de explotación y de opresión que golpea cada vez con más fuerza a las mujeres. El mundo está mirándoles a ustedes. Gracias. The world is watching you. Thanks to you and your comrades for your work in the streets. There have been some amazing images coming out in media of your actions, and we are very inspired. It is an honor to interview you and to be able to put you on WLRN. Son imágenes fantásticos. Estamos muy inspiradas. Y es un honor entrevistarte esta noche y poder ponerlo en, en WLRN. Entonces, muchas gracias, Magali. No, gracias a ti por la entrevista. Y este, thank you, and thank you for giving visibility to our struggle. En otras más. Y gracias por darle visibilidad a la lucha de las mujeres. You are listening to WLRN. Brought to you by the totally excellent radical feminists at Women's, Women's Liberation, Liberation Radio, Radio, Radio News. News. United Nations ranks Mexico one of the most violent countries in the world for women. The Mexican National Institute of Statistics and Geography found that 66% of women and girls aged 15 or older have experienced some type of violence personally, and 41% have experienced sexual violence. In addition to the universal forms of male violence we typically think of in the United States, domestic murder, rape, physical assault, and heterosexual relationships, the women and girls of Mexico live with the threat and reality of gang violence and government violence on a daily basis. Hundreds, if not thousands, of women have disappeared all over Mexico since the 1980s, presumed murdered and still unfound. Other women and girls have been found dead in the mass graves that pepper the country, more victims of the savage drug war that seems to have no end in sight. Local police and other government officials are known to be corrupt and violent themselves, often doing nothing to investigate crimes committed against women, including disappearances, and even raping women and girls both in and out of police custody. What Mexican women and girls face is not just ordinary male violence and misogyny, but the violence of white capitalism, racism, and drug consumption that spills over from the United States, keeping the drug trafficking gangs alive and fueling their terrorism. The men in law enforcement and the government who are supposed to protect these women from violent husbands, boyfriends, fathers, and gang members 
instead use their power to further victimize the women or else ignore them. If the gangsters and the cops weren't bad enough, Mexican women and girls must also fear the men who kidnap and traffic them into the international sex trade. Without even looking at other women's issues like wages and abortion rights, we can recognize the female condition in Mexico is dire and horrifying. Mexican women have been fighting their male oppressors with feminism for the last century, and a new generation of young feminists are attacking Mexico's misogyny with the courage and passion long since abandoned in the world's more stable white majority countries. Mexican women, like so many other women outside the so-called first world nations, can't afford to be passive, soft, or liberal in their feminism. They must be radical. They must be brave. They aren't fighting for some misguided idea of equality with the evil men in their society. They're fighting for their lives, their freedom, and their safety. They have only themselves to depend on. No one else in the world is coming to save them. Because their situation is so desperate, Mexican feminists hold on to their rage and summon their courage, even though the potential consequences Mexican men threaten them with are so much more gruesome than anything the average American or European or Canadian feminist needs to worry about. For that, those of us feminists in the States and the other first world countries can learn from Mexican women, just as we can learn from the women who fight their oppression throughout the second and third world. If a single Mexican feminist can symbolize and exemplify the bravery and militancy of Mexican feminism, her name is Lydia Cacho. Using her journalism career as a vehicle for her feminist resistance, Lydia exposed the sex crimes committed against children by former hotelier Jean Sukar Curry and the involvement of Mexican politicians and businessmen in covering up Curry's child porn, child rape, and child sex trafficking activities. She has also reported on the unsolved female homicides in Juarez, Mexico, opened and ran a women's shelter, and written several books exposing international sex trafficking. Even though she was raped herself and unjustly arrested in retaliation for her investigation of the child sex trafficking in Mexico, even though she has fielded death threats and threats of physical and sexual violence for over a decade, even though she has been robbed and harassed and had her dogs killed by the men who fear her work, she has survived and refuses to stop delivering the truth. Despite the UN's Human Rights Council telling her to leave Mexico, she refuses. In a country where journalists have already been murdered for doing their jobs, even when they do not seek to disrupt male violence against women and girls, Lydia remains steadfast in her commitment to feminist reporting and human rights activism. She has suffered for her work, but without her, Mexico would be an even darker, more dangerous place for women and girls. She has the commitment, determination, and radical spirit that also carry the Mexican feminists protesting in the streets, who keep the resistance alive. Mexican feminism is powerful, not least of all because it can inspire and teach women around the world how to live and act bravely. Mexican women and girls, as they fight the men in their own culture for their right to survive and physical safety, need the help of American women in fighting the U.S. forces that fuel drug-related gang violence in Mexico. They need the help of women everywhere to fight the male sex traffickers who operate worldwide. Mexican feminists call on us in the U.S., Europe, Canada, and elsewhere to match their radicalism. Not just for their good, but our own.
Thanks for listening to WLRN's 44th edition podcast on Mexican feminists and the growing feminist movement in Mexico. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Laura Lecuona and Megali Ramirez, for speaking with us about your experiences as feminist activists in your country. We have learned a lot. Gracias. This is April Now. Thanks for tuning in to WLRN. If you like what you're hearing and want to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. In addition, if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul, signing off for now. And I am Thistle Patterson. Gracias por escuchar. Next month, we will focus our program on reflecting on all that has happened in 2019 as we look ahead to 2020. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks again for listening to WLRN. This is Danielle Whitaker signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Spotify, Spinster, Facebook, Tumblr, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely. Hasta la próxima, compañeras. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Gender hurts.